0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the oddest, strangest feelings one can have is trying to navigate in the dark. And yet, I have found myself, at least on Sunday mornings, making it a practice of navigating in the dark. See, I get up a a few hours before the rest of my household, and so I find myself quite often on Sunday getting ready in the dark. And that was especially true my daughter was first born and still sleeping in a bassinet next to our bed. I would take great care to try and not wake the dog, not wake my daughter, and certainly not wake my wife as I got ready on a Sunday morning. Problem was that I found out very quickly I'm fairly clumsy in the dark. I'd go to turn off my alarm and knock my phone off the nightstand. I'd stub my toe on a door frame. I'd kick the rocker, even though it's been in the same spot for four, five, six months. And the dog would bark, my daughter would stir, and soon the whole household was up a few hours earlier than they wanted to be. Except on, on one Sunday, I thought I had pulled it off. I had gotten ready, no one had stirred, the dog was still sleeping, and I quietly shut the bedroom door, walked down the hallway, go to the living room to, to put on my shoes, only to see that I've got two different colored socks on. And I sat there for a moment, and I pondered my options. And in what I'll just say is a business decision, at least here at St. Paul's for one weekend, there was a pastor with two different colored socks on a Sunday morning. See, navigating the dark is one thing when it's a familiar space, your home. It's a whole other animal when it's an unfamiliar space. Out in the woods or the countryside, perhaps, camping. Or driving down a dark, windy road for the very first time. And yet, trying to navigate the dark is yet still another beast. When it's not a literal darkness that you're trying to navigate, but a spiritual darkness. See, we find the people of God in Isaiah's day dwelling in a deep darkness. A deep spiritual darkness darkness. In fact, the first 12 chapters of Isaiah are pretty much centered around the idolatry, sinfulness, iniquity, and God's righteous judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. That there was moral and social chaos everywhere. Unrighteous leadership. Even Isaiah himself, when he's confronted with the presence of the Lord in the temple in Isaiah 6, the very first thing he can say is, Is woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. That sin, that unrighteousness is that deep darkness that Isaiah is speaking of. It was a darkness that surrounded them spiritually and while the results of it wasn't pretty. To the north of God's people were the Assyrians. And in their lack of repentance, God said, I'm going to come and destroy you through them. Come right through those very lands that we heard read from in the readings just a few moments ago, Zebulun, Naphtali, and come and execute my judgment on my people. But we sit here today, and quite frankly, there's not a lot relatable about that. There's no Assyrian army, no country encamped at our borders ready to invade Thanks to the the benefit of modern electricity, if we want to, we could completely eliminate the dark. And yet, there is something incredibly relatable about considering where we are at in this, at times, spiritually dark world. That we walk in a world, we live in a world that is, at times, tremendously dark, spiritually. Marred, scarred by the sin And the sinful reality that we know too well. Our own personal lives have the effect of that sin. The pain, the shame, the stain of that sin. We look out and it's easy to see where God's word, his will, his way is ignored. And evil, sinful things are considered natural and normal. We are presented with the reality that no matter how hard we try, no matter how faithful we'd like to be, no matter how prudent we are in striving to follow God's way and his will, we know the dark reality of sin. And it impacts how we we treat those we love, how we treat our, our family and friends, how we treat those in our community that God has called us to be neighbors to, and even how we treat God at times, and we dwell in the midst of a land that has deep spiritual darkness and no shortage of false lights that it tries to promote. Worldly success is temporary, fleeting moments of seemingly reprieve from this dark world that it would say is a light you could rely on. And yet, in this dark world, these four short verses from Isaiah, just four verses, are not about darkness. But rather, we read from Isaiah 9, verse 2, that it is the people who walked in darkness that have seen a great light. That those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shone. Just two verses after our our reading, we find a little bit more about what that light is. Words that should be very familiar, considering what we, we celebrated just four weeks ago. Then in Isaiah 9, verse 6, he speaks a little of that light, saying, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And in our gospel reading, we see very directly Matthew say that Jesus is the fulfillment of that light that Isaiah was speaking about, that Jesus would come to be that light for people who dwell in deep darkness, a light that shines on the darkness, at times exposing just how dark the sinful reality of our lives are. shining light on things that we wish we could keep hidden in the dark, that Jesus comes as a light to shine in that darkness, that in those dark realities of sin, he is to be one who points us to the light of God's love, a light that does not fade, does not go away, does not grow dim, but rather shines brightly as a beacon of hope for the very people it came to save that in Christ we we have a light that shines through the darkness. St. Paul would write to the Roman church that neither death nor life nor angels or demons nor anything else in all creation could separate us from that light, could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because as the light of the world, Jesus did not just come to shine in the darkness, on the darkness, or through the darkness, but Jesus came to destroy the darkness. That the light of Christ came as he would say to John, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And later on, John would write in his first epistle that this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. See, it's true, even from an early age, we learn to fear the dark. That's why many of us have probably bought a nightlight for a child at some point in our life. But even as we grow up, it may not be always a literal darkness that we fear, but we still are uncomfortable in the dark. There's still something about being in the dark that is strange, is discomforting, is at times even terrifying. But the beauty of what Jesus came to do as the light of this world, as a light for you, is that Jesus came to not only destroy that darkness, but to remind us each and every day you are no longer in the dark. That though the darkness of this world exists, it doesn't get the last word. It doesn't get the final answer, the last laugh. No, you are who I've made you, who I died to let you become. In some ways, it's a really simple message. It's one verse from Isaiah. It's Jesus is the light of the world. That shouldn't be shocking to those of us who have heard it before. And yet, it's a reminder that we need each and every day because it's so easy to forget, even when you're in the church. As I was doing my research for this sermon, I came across something I had never quite realized before that in almost every single epistle, except for about two, the apostles had to remind the early church that they were no longer in the dark, and instead they were the light, that they had the light of Christ. Paul would write to the Roman church, put off your darkness and put on the armor of light. To the Corinthian church, that God has shown in our hearts to give light, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To the Ephesian church, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. To the Philippian church, you may be children of God, lights in this world. To the Colossians, Christ has qualified you, God has qualified you to have an inheritance with the saints of, you want to guess? Light. Transferred you, delivered you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, To the Thessalonians, you are all children of the light, children of the day, not of the night, not of darkness. To his dear friend Timothy, he would write that our Savior Jesus Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And beyond just Paul, Peter would write in his first epistle that as a Christian, one has Christ, and in that they are special, a chosen people, a holy people, a royal priesthood. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. James would write that God is the father of light. And well, John, just pick a point in John. And you'll see him writing about how Christ is the light of the world. I began to wonder why is this such a simple reminder and yet so easy for us to forget, so important that the apostles made sure to include it with almost all of their writing and yet something that we can struggle to remember in our own daily lives. Well, and then you remember just who would want you to forget such a thing, that the the great deceiver, the one who would be the prince of darkness, Satan himself would love nothing more for you than for you to forget that you have that light he would love nothing more for you to think that it's just your failures, your faults that define you. He would love nothing more for you to sit back on your laurels and say, well, I've had all this worldly success. I haven't been that bad. What do I really need that light for? Tell you any number of things to try and pull you away from that light of Christ. Pull you away from the hope and the comfort and the peace and the mercy and the forgiveness that is found In that light. And so, time and time again, the apostles have to go to the the children of God, the early church, come to us each and every day and remind us that we have the light of Christ. And this week in particular, I'm reminded as we prepare to celebrate National Lutheran Schools Week that's not just a Sunday morning sort of proclamation. One of the beautiful things about St. Paul is that each and every day, hundreds of kids in our school, our ECC, our PDO, get to hear that they have the light of Christ. That in a dark world, they have hope and peace and forgiveness and God's grace and mercy freely and abundantly given to them. That's a reminder they're going to need because they're going to have to navigate the dark world that we know so well. What a beautiful thing it is to get to remind those children of that light each day. Because it is the light of Christ. The light of Christ that shines God's love on his people. Shines God's love on his children. It is that light. The light of Jesus that comes to those he loves so dearly and says, Even in the midst of a dark world, fear not the darkness. Dread not the darkness, worry not about the darkness, for you have the light. You are no longer in the dark, and my light shines upon you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in the light of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.